This is Restless. Welcome back to the Restless Podcast. I am your host, Matt Klein. I am joined by Pastor Michael Bowman. Uh, I guess I am a reverend in my own right now here on the podcast, but you can call me Matt for the sake of this show. The Restless Podcast is um, a place where we do a postmortem on the young, restless, and reformed. Today, though, we are doing something a little bit different. Pastor Michael, I'd like to just read um, a few verses at, from the Psalms to just begin our show because we're going to be doing something uh, a little bit different. And so uh, I don't want to kill the vibe of all of our listeners, but we actually think uh, you'll really appreciate the show as we as we get the chance to do it. So this is from Psalm 39. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Everyone who goes around is like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. Pastor Michael, what are we doing here on the Restless Podcast other than hoping the Lord will teach us to number our days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're remembering um, and going to speak a little bit about two um, really great men in their own right who uh, passed away in the Lord this past week. And so we're going to be talking about uh, both Tim Keller and uh, Harry Reader, both pastors in the PCA, again, both well-known, um, you know, established men in our denomination, but also in their own right, kind of beyond that, um, men who God has used um, in really uh, extraordinary ways in our time. Um, and it's particularly striking. So, uh, you know, I don't know, in our listenership, my assumption is that most people uh, know Tim Keller. We talk about Tim Keller somewhat regularly. Harry Reader may be a little bit less known to some of the podcasts. I know some folks, especially if you're in the PCA, um, you do probably um, have some reference to him. But but both of these men um, have been for some time significant figureheads in the PCA. And um, it, it's striking to me this past week, uh, they both passed away within a day of each other. Um, so uh, within, I think within 24 hours, uh, they had both passed away. And um, this happening really in the lead up to the 50th anniversary of the PCA. And that seems to me a striking providence. Um, and, you know, I don't want to read into that or anything like that, but I want to recognize that. And I think it's fitting then that we we look to uh, a little bit of the example of these godly men and we remember them and and we think a little bit about their legacy and what we can learn from it. So we thought that that would be a good thing to do here on the podcast, um, that we could we could do a little bit of that together. Yes. And so we are um, we are we are thankful for both of these men and the impacts they have had specifically on the PCA, though, especially Tim Keller, obviously has had an impact far beyond into the young, restless and reformed, which is what we often talk about here on the show. Um, fans of the show will know will know um, in the past we have offered a number of critiques on Tim Keller Um and we will not be doing so today. Today, we will be simply reflecting on God's grace given through him um, as an elder in the church, as a man who is now passed into glory. And so um, 
will we return um, to things like that in the future? I don't know. But today we are simply reflecting on um, God's grace given through these two men. And while these men are very different in some ways, they're actually also um, in many ways very similar. Um, and we'll and we'll bring up some of those things. Let me let me bring up a few of the ways that they are similar. So they are both church planters, um, which um, we can maybe perhaps bring up as as a major part of what the PCA's reformed identity, like a, a big reformed emphasis that the PCA has a big a care for church planting. So it's no surprise these two leaders were both um, church planters. They're both preachers. Um, whose preaching ministry were greatly and widely appreciated by lots and lots of people. Yeah. And, and here's the last surprise for our, our listeners. And this is the one I maybe want you to comment on pastor Michael. They were both in their own right, mega church pastors. Yes. Um, Briarwood where um, Harry reader was pastoring when he passed away um, suddenly was over 4,000 in membership. And I know, I don't know what it is now, but um, redeemer in New York city, was um was a was perhaps bigger than that or at least of that size um when tim keller retired from the pastorate there we are often critical of the mega church here on the show pastor michael what do you how how do you frame this idea of these two men with these incredibly large congregations what are what are your thoughts on that yeah i mean number one i you know though we are we are critical um very often of of having it you know um just generally mega church culture um, I do think that you could say of these two men um, that in their own ways, and you know, maybe we disagree with some of it, but they did because of the reformed distinctives that they held to of the nature of the church, they did in their own right um, try to, in a sense, adapt to the problems that having a very large church uh, gives you. Um, and so, for instance, you know, Redeemer obviously had um, multiple campuses and each campus had elders and pastors there. Um, they, they took turns, you know, um, preaching, uh, and they, you know, uh, took turns preaching at different, at different locations, um, so that it didn't become a mm -hmm. cult of personality only, right. It wasn't just about the one guy who projects himself everywhere. Um, and so that, you know, that's something that they did intentionally so that they would try to, um, I think preserve, um, the, the good of a small church in a situation where you have a much larger church. Um, I'm much, I'm, I am much less familiar with, uh, you know, uh, with Pastor Reader and with Briarwood, um, but I do know there too, right? They, they have a very intentional way of, of, um, you know, having elders that function over all of the different sheep that they are, you know, shepherding, right? So they're not, um, they're not just a mega church with a cult of personality where you can come and go as you please. They still hold to those reform distinctives and elements of what it looks like to actually shepherd the people. And they did that differently, right? Different cultures, different ways of doing it. Um, and, but, but in that way, it is different. I mean, you think, so as much as we critique, uh, you know, really big churches, there are times when this happens um, and it's, yes. it's not necessarily, uh, you know, wrong or, you know, uh, um, horrible in its own right, even if it's not That's ideal. Not. You think about the nature of, of the 3000 that are added uh, to the church in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Now, like a lot of those people were likely people that then went out. Um, they, they were in Jerusalem for a time, but many of them were also just in Jerusalem. Right. And so you have just a, a massive growth of the church in Jerusalem all of a sudden. 
Um, that didn't make it maybe ideal to have everybody together. There were a lot of problems that arose um, dealing with that many people. Right after we see the growth of the church, we see these problems of, you know, for instance, diaconal distribution of food and, and these sorts of things. So, so there are many issues that come up with that that have to be dealt with um, and, and should be, but, but um, you know, it, it is something that does happen. And, you know, in different cases, it, you know, it's just, again, maybe not ideal, but it, it, it happens and it's a fine thing in its own right. It is clearly, um, again, one of those things where what what ver I don't have a verse that limits the top membership yeah. of your right. church. I, I do have biblical ecclesiology you must be applying. Um, but again, right, the Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, was a mega church pastor, right? And I think both of these men avoided in large part the the self-promotional growing yes. the monster branding thing that is we is what we're norm the money hungry like the things we normally associate with a mega church and a mega church pastor that's not what we're talking about and so i do think it often comes across and we we are often critical of the way that um rick warren and man we may talk about another time uh now now one of the uh people in charge of uh, Spur char in charge of Spurgeon's library and legacy. Um, uh, right. The way they were like, if we put mega churches in every city, that's the right way to reach, re-reach the country. Um, right there, you know, there are a lot of parts about the, the mega church that we are critical of, but simply the number of people is not the fact. And of course, pastor Michael and I recognize it takes an incredibly unique and gift man to on any level both practically and truly spiritually to be in those kinds of positions and i believe both of these men like spurgeon um and like others show those kinds of gifting right both of these are uniquely brilliant men of their own right uh gifted um um, in in many ways. as Yeah, as I think number, I mean, one of the biggest things you hear, and, and you can see this if you go and start looking at stories from various people about who knew these different men. Um, one of the things that comes up for both of them over and over again is their tremendous humility. Yes. Right. Both of them, well-known authors, preachers, have these large churches, and yet were known for um, being completely, you know, um, present with and being able to have deep relationship with people that, you know, if you thought highly of yourself, uh, you would look down on because, well, here's this, you know, this pastor of a church who, I mean, he only has a hundred people in his church. He only has 60 people in his church. You know, what good is it me spending my time with him? You don't get that at all from these men. Right. Um, and, and there's nothing like that right there. They, they both um, were well known for their humility uh, and even right up to the end. And so so that's a striking difference that you see uh, from what we would typically critique of a lot of guys who want the fame, who want a, a giant church. And I don't think either of these men set, set out right. to be the guy who has the biggest church. They set out to be faithful in ministry and God bless them in this particular way to give them the influence that they had. And and interestingly, uh, one you know, in what the their their difference right is very interesting i think it is a large a very cultural difference right reader was a brilliant man but he was of that like very southern affect like people talk very about very much he could 
bring up uh, regiments in the Civil War, right? What a southern, what a southern gentleman <laughs> kind of mood, right? And like that in his life, he was an athletic, right? Like he was, you know, he was just very much that. When you think about the southern gentleman, right? You, I think he he fit that very much to a T. Obviously, Keller is an urban, um, uh, public intellectual, right? Yeah. In, a, in a, a striking in a very different way. More of this East Coast Rust Belt kind of of mentality and so um and it's just it's wonderful to see god using um these very like these very different people in a way um but both both being used in their own right so yeah i was thinking about this just today i you know i knew we were going to be doing this episode but i was just thinking about that um about how god raises up different men from distinctly different cultures in order to reach different people. Um, and just the the grace and the blessing that that is. As much as we, from our perspective uh, as Midwest men, <laughs> you know, get to uh, look out and we have our critiques uh, of all kinds of different, uh, you know, cultural adaptations of, of uh, the scripture or, or things like that or applications of the scripture. Um, yet I am really grateful that God has made um, his word to be adaptable to all cultures, all peoples, um, something that can be known and understood by all, right? It is in a sense, right? This is, this is what we see in the day of Pentecost where, you know, uh, all these people from different languages, from different places, different, different cultures, they can all hear the word of God in their own language, in their own, um, you know, cultural way of speaking, because that's the nature of, of Christ who made all things. He, he being the word of God is, you know, adaptable is a bad word because it's not as though he changes, right. but all things have been made through him. All things hold together in him. And so they can find their proper ordering and place when they do actually hear the word of the gospel. And so I was just grateful. I'm really grateful. Um, and these men, I think, are, are prominent examples of how God does that. Well, let me talk a little bit about um, Harry Reader and his legacy. Um and we can we can comment on anything notable uh, in it, um, and then we'll do the same for uh, Tim Keller. And so um, Harry Reader, born in 1948, obviously passing away this year in 2023. Interestingly, for those who know we, um, for our listeners, uh, Harry Reader was instrumental in planting the church where good guy KDY is now the senior pastor, Christ Covenant not Christ Covenant Lacrosse, Wisconsin, where Pastor Michael <laughs> is the senior. It's true. Pastor. Every time I type it in, even on YouTube, to find my own church's YouTube page, I always get KDY. <laughs> right. He, uh, Pastor Michael, will has the joy of forever living in the shadow of Harry Reader and uh, more, more directly Kevin DeYoung, and so he was. Um, he was at a uh, a healthy church in Miami. But the PCA wanted to plant a church um, in Charlotte and really have a um, like a, you know, one ahead, wanted to have a large um, like representation of a church. And so I believe in 1981, he moved to Charlotte um, where there was about 40 people gathering with no pastor as a PCA church. Um, And he returned to and he is from Charlotte. So he returned to his hometown to go and seek um, to build up and plant that church. Now, what's obviously incredible <laughs> that it, it, it's hard to 
understand is by 1997, it had 3,000 members. Um, so in less than two decades, um, yeah. there had been... Yeah. Well, and before that, can I just say before that, um, right. you know, uh, again, connection to the podcast a little bit, um, uh, Harry Reader in Miami, he was uh, at in Miami at Pinelands, it, Pinelands Presbyterian Church. I think that's what it is. Aldo can correct us, but it's a, the church that currently um, Aldo Leon, who we've had on before, um, that where he pastors. And he was sent there uh, as part of a revitalization, uh, I believe. And um, if you read his book, um, which I happen, you know, I just so happen, I, you know, I have very little connection to uh, Pastor Reader, um, except, you know, having kind of brushed shoulders with him a little bit at General Assembly. Um, and then this just a couple months ago, um, at the beginning of this past year, at the end of last year, into the beginning of this year, uh, I read his book called Embers to a Flame. That's all about the work of revitalizing a congregation. And um, and even just hearing a lot of his personal stories about going into what was a very damaged, broken, um, you know, really um, problematic church that needed a lot of work and a lot of help. And that had hurt a lot of people. Mm. Um, he went in there and out of a love for the bride of Christ, did not just say, this is too much. We should close the doors. There's like, it's too big of a mess, but put in the really hard work of going about um, renewing it. And, and it likewise became a very large church uh, at the time. And, and it's just striking that, you know, God seemed to bless this man really wherever he went. Um, but anyway, if, if you haven't, you know, uh, read that, it may be helpful for some people. One, it tells a lot of his personal stories in doing that. Um, I think it's really helpful in that, in that right. Um, it was helpful to me. I, I'm in a church that, you know, I came into a church that was in a really healthy place. Um, and so it's not, it wasn't quite directly applicable to me in the same way, but I found it a lot of parts of this book to be really helpful to me. I shared it with our elders, um, just thinking about the different things that can be done to really help uh, to, um, to build uh, maturity into uh, a people, into a church. And just a lot of great, great, really helpful, practical advice coming from a distinctively, you know, confessional reformed position. Yes. Uh, you know, sometimes we do maybe dichotomize the, the idea of reformed theology and then actual praxis and actual uh, things like, you know, renewal, church planning, evangelism, missions, those sorts of things. And that's not true historically of the reformed church, but it does seem like um, over the course of maybe it's, you know, I guess I think of it as maybe more of the 20th century. I could be wrong about this, but there was just a maybe a growth in an intellectualizing of the Reformed faith. Um, and I feel like Harry Reader is one of these men who who did not in any way, um, you know, try to limit or or dumb down any of the theology. Right? He he was a man who was uh, fiercely committed to the Reformed faith. But he put it into practice in a yep. way that is is really encouraging. I I think it is that's such a striking thing, and and obviously he is one of, um, you know, with when he began pastoring his involvement, he is one of what we would call the forefathers of the PCA, um, and it is it is fascinating, right? Um, he after um after planting Christ Covenant, um, moved to the church where the PCA was founded, um. Briarwood 
Presbyterian Church, right? Uh, what is now, as we mentioned, is a, a membership over 4,000. We probably have someone in our audience listening who uh, attends worship there. And that church, um, especially under his leadership, right, is known for its theological clarity, right? The emphasis on these preaching sacraments, right? The 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 essence of the, the Reformed faith. But like so many, I think this is so important, um, but like so many of the forefathers of the PCA, they're exactly what you're describing, Pastor Michael. They are, they like, you know, people will talk about, well, they were more evangelical than most of the reform guys today are, um, would be comfortable with. Well, maybe, but it's, it's not that they're Harry readers. The Harry readers theology is Southern Presbyterian down to its bones. Yeah. But these men were putting it in action. were seeking church planting, seeking missions, right? Seeking these things. And they were not, it is, it is a, it's just hard for so many of us in the YRR. It would be great for us to learn from the forefathers of the PCA, like Harry Reader, because all of us in the YRR, myself and Pastor Michael, we came to the form faith primarily for intellectual reasons. It answered questions I wasn't getting anywhere else. Yeah. And that's good, right? That's not a bad thing. Like, that's a blessing of God to be able to understand the Bible with clarity. However, we didn't have it connected to this whole life and, you know, this this piety and evangelical, like seeking unity, right? All of these things that um, Harry Reader embodied and, and is just as representative in the PCA's foundations in general as he and he as being one example of that. And so we just don't have that. And so that is one thing from him we should all be seeking. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think I think as we um, as we go to the end of and well, before we turn to remembering um, Tim Keller, you know, we when we talk about great men, it is an it is a fascinating way. The Lord, um, the providences, the special providences God uses um, when he brings about uh, the death of a great man. Um, and it is something the Bible, in fact, at times instructs us to learn from. Um, we had a one of our patrons uh, share a Facebook post that um, Harry Reader made the morning of his death. He said, on this day, five years ago, the Lord unexpectedly, yet in his perfect providence, brought home to glory my oldest sister and best friend, Vicki. I miss her, yet rejoice for her unstoppable love, wisdom, loyalty, and our daily phone calls, and her contagious love for Christ, evangelism, and Christ church and her friends and family see you soon sis right this was a man um yeah like you just read you can you can hear the the love and this was a man prepared for glory yeah uh, even though it was on a day that to all of us was unexpected right the lord had numbered his days um and he had finished his faithful service to him and brought him brought him to be with him um so um, let us now consider another man, uh, a pastor, teaching elder in the PCA, Tim Keller, right? Obviously, 
um so much about tim keller right there's there's a book um you know colin hansen has just published a book a memoir about his life right there's going to be many many articles written about him like harry reader though right harry reader had congressmen you know um military leaders right lots of people um eulogizing and sending condolences tim keller is no different um there i want to read the beginning of his um, his obituary in the New York Times, because I really think, um, and I, and if you want to pay a dollar to the New York Times to read it, everybody, or if you know a way to get around it, I, I recommend you because um, this, the beginning of this is really, um, is really fasting. So Tim Keller born a few years after Harry Reader, 1951 to 20, uh, 23. As many people know, he has now, um, lost his battle to cancer and won a crown of righteousness in heaven. Um, and so here is just a little bit from his obituary in the New York Times. He performed a modern miracle of his own, establishing a theologically orthodox church in Manhattan that attracted thousands of young professionals, died on Thursday in his home in Manhattan. He was 72. His death was announced to Redeemer City to City, an organization affiliated with Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Mr. Keller announced on Twitter in December 21st that he had stage four um, pancreatic cancer. Mr. Keller, whose only previous experience in the pulpit had been a blue-collar congregation in a rural Virginia parish, moved with his wife and three sons to New York in 1989, and neither fire with neither fire nor brimstone, embarked on what the New York magazine called at the time as close to theological as close to theological suicide mission to create a strictly conservative Christian church in the heart of Sodom. Man, what a welcome when he when he moved there, right? Uh, yeah. To be to to have that declared what he was doing. And again, this is this is one of the many uh this is the thing about him and the thing that has so changed since his ministry, right? When Tim Keller moved to New York City to do what he was doing, it was laughable, right? People, yeah. be, right? The New, New York Magazine is making, is mocking what he was going to do. There was not, people weren't excited about moving to big cities at that time, right? Yeah, it was this, before all that. This was, Tim Keller was not doing this because it was trendy, right? It became a trend. Uh, but it was not done. Be he didn't do it because it was a trend. This was the trend. This was the age of the suburban megachurch. This is what that's what a gifted speaker did. Tim Keller did in very much the opposite and was so blessed and so successful in what he did. He created a trend. Right. And so, again, it's this this move, um, this uh, in many ways, this kind of courageous task he engaged in um that that is so deserving of praise obviously um most people are introduced to him as i was uh through one of his i was introduced to him through mark driscoll recommending one of his best-selling books um i believe i quickly read an, a lot of his books when i was a young christian the reason for god prodigal god counterfeits gods um i know um his book meaning for marriage uh meaning of marriages um is well liked um, and is probably a bestseller as well, um, and and so again, there's I'll, I'll tell a we'll, we can, there are a few stories we can share, but I just think that like he was of course he was a public 
Christian, right? He was a public apologist. He was a church planter. He was a pastor. Um, obviously, he was one of the founders of TGC um, at that time. Yeah, I mean, really striking how much he accomplished, right? I mean, really, and and again, clearly not not that he wasn't intentional about doing these things, but he did not set out to make a name for himself. And right right. up to the end, he was known as somebody that was not trying to make a name for himself. And so that's a a really impressive feat um, to have as much, uh, as much influence uh, on men as he did to get to this side um, where now he, you know, passes into the next life and he's remembered by his family, not as somebody who neglected them, but with deep love and affection and, you know, with deep grief of losing him. Um, he's remembered by his church and by the people around him as somebody who would like give them time and loved them and prayed for them and gave them his wisdom and, and helped them. He's like, he doesn't have these massive, you know, personal scandals that we see so often with men in his same position. And that's a really impressive thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's he it's, you know, oftentimes it's like, well, he's not as conservative as we are. But there is no doubt in my mind he and his wife have paid more for their conservative reform beliefs than I have. Yes. Um, One great example, of course, was when um, Keller of course, was going to be given the prize, uh, the Kuiper Prize in Reformed Theology by Princeton. Um, And when he uh, was going to receive it, you know, his views on marriage, abortion, and homosexuality, I don't know who, you know, who got them, and they rescinded the prize to him. But what's striking, and this is, again, this is a very much a Tim Keller move, he agreed to go and give the lectures anyway. Yeah. Right. They would so he not- didn't take it as like, uh, we're going to fight now. He was like, oh, here's an opportunity for me to go and teach. And he did it. That's I mean, that is a that is a humble man. That's a really humble man. Yeah. And I just think that he's humble. He obviously it's hard to think. And and while he um, it's hard to think of who in our lifetimes, Pastor Michael has introduced, introduced the reform faith on the street to more people than Tim Keller. Like at a very, like, right. For me as a church planter, very practically, when I say I'm a PCA church planter and people go, what's that? Yep. (laughs) The only thing I can give them to hold on to in most cases here in the Midwest is Tim Keller. I can't tell you how many people I know right now who, you know, I, I meet and uh, we talk and they want to know, you know, when I explain to them that, you know, they want to know, well, what kind of denomination are you in? Who, like what, tell me something about your denomination. The, like the one connection point we have is Tim Keller. Um, right. He's, and if not, that may be R.C. Sproul, right? But other than R.C. Sproul, especially with those who are younger, um, it tends to be that people know Tim Keller, and especially people that are so, like you're saying, just like they're not close to the reformed world that you and I love so much. And, you know, like we, we know what's going on in the reformed world, but normal people don't, (laughs) you know, most of them. And so like they, but they love Tim Keller. I know so many people that love Tim Keller. Yes. Yeah. And I think that um, 
it's again it's this it it yeah it's 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 hard to imagine you know how much influence right he's had in these ways and so i do think um um i want to before we talk a little bit about his death which i believe should be instructive for every christian just so you know um with how he's handled it so i want to i want to comment on um colin hansen in his obituary which he wrote for christianity today i will try and remember to link to all of these in the show notes he said keller's final task the great unfinished project he left us to was charting a course for mission in the 21st century west that bore a scant resemblance to the middle class context in allentown pennsylvania where he grew up in the 50s so i do think um that maybe the conversation that tim keller began um in the 80s is that is at a very different place and we should continue that conversation as as christians as church planners as churchmen mm-hmm. right this and and the the thing that pastor michael and i are are often critical of is not this conversation and not even tim keller's insight on the conversation but that oftentimes what people say and this is not what tim keller did is people say just do what he did that is not he was not doing what people just did he was not doing what the missional people did in his day. Those people were doing what Rick Warren did. He was not even doing what uh, the man he learned so much from Leslie Newbigin did. Yeah. Or his insight. He was applying the thinking behind it and applying it. And and continuing that conversation is certainly a worthwhile endeavor. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, um, you know, I've been maybe more influenced by Harry Reader over the last year or two, just because I've I've just discovered him. Um, you know, I just didn't know who he was. I'm, I was not a Southern Presbyterian. I didn't come into the PCA as somebody with a lot of background um, in the the Presbyterian world, uh, and so it was through just more direct interactions with others and reading his book um, that I became more aware of him and and blessed by his ministry. Um, Tim Keller is somebody who, from very early on, as I began to um, get into the Reform world. Uh, was a huge influence on me. I still have like deeply rooted memories listening to him work through the book of Genesis um, in his in a sermon series and um, just listening to so many of these sermons, um, especially while I would do things like mowing the lawn and and these sorts of things and just you know be listening to sermon after sermon after sermon, but listening to so much from him and just being really blown away with with uh, his, understanding of the text and his ability to apply the text in a way that I had never heard. You know, I just had not heard it from any other preacher like him. And so, you know, it was just really blessed by him in that way. Yeah. So um, let me talk again a little bit about the death of a great man. Um, how did he handle his in, imminent death? So in an interview where he, I believe this is the interview where he announced publicly that he had pancreatic cancer. Um Keller said, how will he handle his imminent death? This is just, I again, I this is a pretty incredible quote. I think the way I handle imminent death is by fighting my sin and getting into deeper communion with God. Hmm. That's certainly how John Owen did it. As you know, his meditations and discourses on the glory of Christ, the last thing was he wrote 
was basically him dealing with his imminent death. And that is what I am trying to do. Wow. Right. What a, uh, what an incredible thing. Obviously the post where many people became aware Tim Keller was about to pass away was when his son um, posted on behalf of him. And it said, dad is being discharged from the hospital to receive hospice at home. Over the past few days, he's asked us to pray with him often. He expressed many times through prayer his desire to be home with Jesus. His family is very sad because we all want more time, but we know he has very little at this point. In prayer, he said two nights ago, I'm thankful for all the people who've prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for the time God has given me, but I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. Amen. 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 Yeah, what a good testament um, to faith right up to the end. That's right. So, Pastor Michael, as we as we close, um, there's a there's a quote on death um, that I'm often reminded of that no one can more steadily look at death than they can the sun. What is the um, as we just as we have taken a moment uh, to consider uh, these, the death of these two men, what is, is there anything we further can consider in just in considering death in our mortality here before we, um, before we, we, um, we go back to uh, the people listening, go back to their normal day where they will uh, put these kinds of things out of their mind. Um, yeah. they not, um, unless they are, you know, intimately friends with one of these men or their families, you know, will not go, We'll not think about it much more today. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd say two things um, that come to my mind anyway. Number one is remember that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Mm. And uh, even in these things, no matter how it goes, right? So um, in Tim Keller's case, it was known that there was this was coming. They didn't know exactly when, but this was a, a basically an expected outcome. Um, they, they knew that this is the direction things were heading. Um, pancreatic cancer particularly is something that you just most people cannot recover from and um, it just everybody knew that it was moving in that direction they were aware of it the fact that he's on hospice they had time together toward the end um, is very different than um, Harry Reader died in a car accident um, very suddenly unexpectedly mm-hmm. um, in both cases the Lord was with them and there with them uh, as they passed Right. Mm. He walked with them um, even through that great final enemy, um, that final doorway into the next life. And that is the blessing that all of us have in Christ is that you don't die alone. All of us have to die on our own. Right. Nobody um, you when you die, you are the one that's dying. Um, Even if you die at the same time as others, you're not you're in a sense, you're not dying with anyone else. Right. You are bearing that death, which is a ju- judgment. Um, it, in a sense, it's a grace, right? As, as our mortal um, fleshly bodies wear out, um, it can be a grace to, um, as we hear the words, go home to be with mm-hmm. the Lord. Um, but it's a grace that comes by judgment because death is ultimately a judgment. And we should be reminded anytime that somebody dies that this is a judgment from God because of our sin. But the, the blessing of the gospel in part is that Jesus Christ is with you even then in death because you were with him in his death, right? Because you're united to him in his death. He walks with you in your death. And you, you see that um, even here, I think. And, and it's a good reminder for us. And secondly, I would say that, 
you know, as we think about the death, particularly of godly men, right, of saints that we um, look to and uh, have, you know, learned from, it's a reminder to us, I think, to, while we are yet alive, uh, imitate them as they imitated Christ. It is a, there is a, a reminder to us, hopefully, um, that um, each man leaves a legacy. And it's it's God's providence that gives different men, like, you know, different amounts of influence and honor in this life. And that's up to him how that goes. But each of us can be faithful um, as these men were in their particular callings, their particular places. And we want to honor that example uh, as much as we can. No man is perfect, right? I know that there's a lot of people that are like, well, we should talk about the, you know, the way that the legacy of these men is mixed in various ways. This is not the time for that. Um, I think it's really dishonorable, actually, um, especially this soon after the death of godly men. Um, it's it's not wrong to talk about men's feelings, but these men were what they were and are what they are because of Christ. And so we can look to them as they imitated Christ, so we should imitate them. And so let's look to the kind of legacy that we will leave as well, right? What kind of lives do we want to live? We want to be the kind of men that are known at our death for our love of Christ, our service to Christ, our humility that is directed toward him. That's what we want. Um, that's what we should want. And, and I pray that that really is the legacy that we leave as we look to the legacy of these men. Well, glory be to Christ. Thank you for listening to the Restless Podcast this week. We will catch you later.